Here at the offices of Olson and Colby, we will never stop fighting for you. Have you been subject to an unfair treatment by a wholesaler or local fish store? Has this ever happened to you? You're ordering shrimp from one of those other guys, but when you go to the checkout, you find out your promo code has expired. So you get in the car, drive to the store, but you're tired from staying up late clicking on adult pop-up ads trying to meet local singles. So you stop to get coffee, but the coffee is too hot, and you burn your tongue, and you miss your off-ramp. So you try to make an illegal U-turn, but you don't have the clearance and crash into the parked car in front of you, which turns out to be your boss who fires you on the spot. Now, you don't have a disposable income to support your hobby, so now you scavenge discarded shrimp from dumpsters behind their local steakhouse to keep in old Tupperware containers you borrowed from your cousin Karen, who's been asking about them since last Memorial Day. <sighs> Even if you haven't had this happen to you, you may be entitled to financial compensation in the form of 15% off your next order at joeshrimpshack.com using a promo code Aquarium guys at checkout joeshrimshack.com make the right choice welcome to the aquarium guys podcast with your hosts jim colby and rob zolson hey guys it is so good to talk to you again this week i'm your host rob zolson i'm jungle jim colby and I'm Adam Elnishar. <laughs> threw Adam off, didn't it? Jungle Jim? Jung- why not? I gave you guys, uh, you know, new nicknames last week. I called you the Vanilla Gorilla. The Vanilla Gorilla. I called Adam Malibu Ken. Malibu Ken. Yeah, so I thought I'd bring you myself up. You're, you're Jungle Jim. I'm Jungle Jim, yeah. Is that like a manscaping reference? Like you should be keeping up? <laughs> <laughs> I, just no? do it, I do it the old-fashioned way. I just light up a torch and just kind of singe the hair. That's but why that's, I smell that's burnt hair yeah. every time you come to the podcast. Exactly. Well, guys, we're going to dive in. But before we do, um, our subject of the day is uh, marine chemicals and how to actually dose your tank. So for this expert, we have Kyle from Cobalt Aquatics, also representing uh, Reef Flowers. Kyle, it's a pleasure having you on the show, buddy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So you said, we, we talked to you a little bit before the podcast, and I've been talking with you back and forth for a while. So just to give you guys a, a little teaser into this, right? Uh, Reef Flowers have sent me quite a bit of plant fertilizer, because again, I'm not a saltwater guru. I've, I, I've had them. I've set them up in the past. I'm no, by no means an expert. But I am, however, very avid in plants. And Reef Flowers uh, plant ferts have been working great for me. I have a uh, actually results in about a week and a half on my red Ludwig, all different types of plants. Um, it pushed away a lot of the other algaes in the tank, which I didn't expect. You know, it, me not using ferts a ton because I've always tried to go no CO2, no mess. Using just the easy to use ferts, you just assume that it's giving more food to the water and algae would go up with it. It didn't. And it's just beautiful results. And uh, you guys will hear in the future weeks, we're going to actually do some sponsorships with uh, Reef Flowers. Um, so certainly check them out, reefflowers.us. The link will be in the description. But Kyle, you were saying that uh, I was asking you what your position is at the company, and you said you had a mysterious title. Ooh, Yeah, a little bit of a mysterious title. So a lot of people don't realize that at Cobalt, we're just a really tiny company. You know, counting the guys out in the warehouse, there's 14 of us total. So we all kind of wear a bunch of hats. Um, I like to call my title the Swiss Army Knife of Cobalt. Um, I kind of do a little bit of everything. But uh, I'm the resident marine biologist, and I do a lot of like R&D and product development. Um, I also work a little bit in sales. I work a little bit in some of the various um, state licensing type things. So you know, anytime we make a, a chemical or a food or what have you, 
you got to go through a bunch of political red tape to get it cleared with all the different states and, you know, different countries for import, export, all that kind of stuff. So all that kind of falls under my job. Well, we'll certainly have a bunch of different questions from our community for you, for sure. But again, we appreciate you having on your show and sharing the expertise with us, buddy, because I need some help. <laughs> Absolutely. He needs more than just a little help. You need mental help. And HR help. HR help, yeah. And I need my nose cleared after smelling burnt hair. Hey, that's right. Right. So let's get down to the questions. Each week we uh, try to go through the podcast and people send us questions. So if you have questions for us, you can join this podcast live. We do it Monday nights at 7 p.m. Go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com on the bottom of the website. You'll see a link for Discord. It's where we have our entire community on. Right now there is an absolute ton of people in Discord. So uh, certainly join the debauchery in live chat. Otherwise, you can send us an email, send us a text message, leave us a voicemail, however you feel comfortable to give us messages even on Facebook. So question one, Hey guys, I got a new question for you. My acrylic tank has a sheet of blue acrylic that was installed on the inside. I bought this tank used anyways. I'm wanting to know if I can change the color from blue to black background. I've heard a product called plast plasti dip. That's spelled P L A S T I dip spray paint to use to paint some decorations. What are your thoughts on spraying the inside of the back wall of my tank as long as I mask the rest off? So I've never actually dealt with this. Generally, I always have some sort of clear background, and I'm putting something behind the tank or painting the back of the tank. This is an acrylic tank, correct? It is. I've got some experience in that. The, um, on a, an acrylic tank, I don't know if it's, there is a, bl a blue acrylic that is a solid blue. And if that's the case, you, you won't be able to get rid of the solid blue, but sometimes they'll put a blue film on it, which is just kind of like the same stuff that they use for um, blacking out your uh, windows in your car to keep the sun out. And um, that is fairly inexpensive. Um, we've, we've put that in many acrylic tanks of my friend Ty Tallsrud. We've done that several times. And um, it's a blue thin plastic that we, we used to put on there. And then you have to smooth out the air bubbles and once it's on there, it's on there pretty permanent. So it's possible that that might be on there now. But if it's an actual blue acrylic, you're going to be stuck with blue acrylic. But I would not paint anything on the inside of the acrylic. Because I think that would uh, not be safe. Well, I mean, even if you can find a safe paint, the, the possibilities of it chipping and just leaving debris in your tank, even if it's harmless, it's still just garbage in there and it'll chip. So I think that for the most part, you're probably stuck with it being blue unless you want to risk the inside paint that we don't recommend. Yeah, unless there's a blue film on the outside that you can peel off and then you can switch it to black. They sell several different colors of the film that you can put on the back of those acrylic tanks. Yeah, it sounds like this is pretty baked in. Yeah, then you probably are screwed. So here's my and counter idea, is using some sort of like plastic black sheet that you can put on the back and on the inside. That way it's not paint and it's some sort of like, you know, just plastic sheet you stuck on. But even then you have risk of, Debris getting back there, mold or of some sort growing back there, detritus. So there's no real good solution for this. Yeah, if you paint the black over the blue, you might possibly get a, a darkened color. I'm not sure what color it's going to turn out to be, but I have used acrylic paint on the back of tanks, which will work for a while. But then, like Rob said, it starts peeling off after a while. Now, I, I heard Kyle try to say something. Yeah, I use Plasti Dip all the time for car parts. Um, like I have a 1971 Volkswagen Beetle that I'm working on turning into a Baja bug. But we Plasti Dip like two thirds of that car to keep uh, keep it like rust free, things like that. Problem with Plasti Dip is the aerosols in it will mess up acrylic, it'll cause it to craze. So if you sprayed any Plasti Dip inside or outside, 
it's going to send all the little spider web crazing throughout the entire acrylic. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. You know, when I nope. first, first got into the aquarium um, business and stuff, they used to stuff, sell stuff called crystal glaze, which was you'd lay your tank on its face and then you pour the, the crystal glaze on it and it would crack and make kind of these really cool looking frost like patterns and stuff. I don't even know if they make it anymore. It used to be called crystal glaze, but that actually worked pretty well because it was not waterproof, but it was a lot better than using a paint. But I still like the, the, the cling wrap that you put on. Good yeah, to know. something like adhesive vinyl is great if you're able to, you know, peel off the blue in some way. You could put that adhesive vinyl sheet across the back. Yep, that works fantastic. Winning. Um, also, I asked, hey, may I answer this on the podcast? Anytime that you want to uh, answer the question on air, you're more than welcome to. You guys rock, even with the didgeridoo. <laughs> wow! Right? Why are didgeridoo? You know, I've been practicing the didgeridoo, and I am... 20% better than I used to be a year ago. He even went on to say, I listened to about 20 different podcasts, all different topics, and this is my favorite one for sure. So, Jimmy, that means we're beating other non-fish podcasts. With my didgeridoo? With this guy, at least. Oh, well, right. that's good. Now, sometimes it's, it's harder to find a good fan than it is a Clorox wipe. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. And on that note, let's get to emails. So that one was from Facebook. And again, aquariumguyspodcast.com. And contact info is there. But says, uh, hey, guys, love the show. It's inspired me to get into fish keeping. But my girlfriend saw how much fun I was having, so she wanted to get in and got a beta. I was uh, so then I was jealous and got a beta as well. Long story short, hers is happy, thriving, and is uh, in a little seven-gallon setup. Both of mine, however, have died. <laughs> I placed both of mine into a 20H with four balloon mollies, so I'm assuming 20 high. With yeah. balloon mollies, and it's uh, running a sponge filter, post isolation, and a three-gallon internal setup. Um, water is seventy-eight degrees. Parameters should be okay, but I've come to the fish elves and the Endler Hobbit for help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one's yours, boy. Adam. The Endler Hobbit. The Endler Hobbit, and actually, he looks like a hobbit uh, underneath his blankie tonight. I think it's because we got her beta from a local fish store, so it naturally just did better. And it's pretty. But I got my fancy Galaxy Koi from the only Petco I had. I think it's a failure of mine because it was a big store, but I should have found an online retailer. Oh, excuse me. So should I find an online retailer for my, uh, I think he's misspelled this, uh, Endless Beta? Yeah, it's definitely misspelled, so I don't know what that word is, but for his beta. Is there anywhere you guys can recommend for a good quality fish, or is the fancy pretty beta just weaker? Thanks in advance for keeping do what you do. And Jim, stop mooning children at Disney Cruises. That was their own damn fault. You shouldn't be out. I, I mean, honestly, if I'm drunk on the ocean, stay off the ocean. That's just my. That that's a rule of thumb. That me. is a rule of thumb. Kyle, Kyle's looking like I don't even know what that's about. I got my weak circle. Just like stay away from the Gulf Coast, yeah. right? Just, just for people who don't know what what's, what they're talking about, um, my wife and I go on a rock and roll cruise every year called the Monsters of Rock. 25 to 50 bands from the 80s bands like Tesla Night Ranger. Right. And they decide that when they go off port, they're going to hang around children's cruises no. so that a bunch of drunk idiots can moon them off the side and give them a, you know, big old salute. Now, sometimes when you, as you're coming into port, you, you meet the Disney cruise and they're all waving and then our 5,000 people drop trow and moon them. I should it's really. It's just part of tradition. I'm sorry. I should pull up some like picture analytics, you know, post it on social media yeah. to see if we can catch that. It's a big, it's a big thing up in Canada where they moon that certain train. I don't know if you've ever seen that where there's 
hundreds of people standing alongside the railroad track and they moon the train. So I like how we're all supposed to be fish experts, but instead we're mooning experts. There we go. That's, that's what people come for, really. But no, to answer your question, so number one, what do we think happened? Well, I, honestly, just because of the requirements, you said both of your betas. So that means that you put two in the same tank. That makes me very nervous, uh, Ryan. So if you have two females, great. If you have a male with any other, whether it be a female or male, um, they'll beat each other up. It may take a while. It may be in uh, increment fighting sessions because the tank may have a little bit of distance, but they'll eventually beat the crowd on each other. So if that's the case, there's your answer. Now, as far as um, beta quality, the Galaxy betas, the Koi betas, all of these what new Pakat betas, all of the different flavors, I have not particularly seen a variety that is quote-unquote weak other than albino species. But albino species, no matter the fish, are slightly more temperamental to water conditions and quality. That's a given for almost any fish. I mean, besides like uh, a bristlenose placo. Like I can say that those are probably close to as hardy as the other ones. Now, where you get your fish from does matter. I mean, if the local fish store takes better care, does water changes, and most importantly, keeps their betas under heat, they're going to be better out the get-go. When you buy it, they're going to be in better condition, healthier, bar none. Now, something like a Petco, maybe they had heat on them. Maybe the person they had did good water changes. Um, I'm not going to shit on Petco for having bad fish. Today. Today. Uh, I'm in a good mood. But uh, it, it can happen. You just have to do your homework, look at the fish. Um, you know, is its uh, stomach protruding? Um, is it look decolored? Is it not moving in the bottom of the cup? Is the scenario not a, um, part of heat? Does the water look filmy? You just got to make a judgment call when you purchase your fish. There are good Petcos. There are bad Petcos. Very bad Petcos. So if you're looking for a place online, you can certainly look at a lot of different places. I bought from a mix of places. Um, if you want, you can go to joeshrimshack.com on the bottom of the web website. He has a telephone number. He keeps betas in stock. They are not listed on his website, but he can certainly help you get a beta of whatever you're choosing. Even if he doesn't have it, he'll order it in and get that shipped out to you. Just uh, tell him that we sent him. And I, I'm pretty sure you can even give him the uh, promo code for 15% off that beta. Yeah. You know, the other thing that, that he said is that his girlfriend is in a seven-gallon tank, and his is in a community tank. If her beta is in a tank by itself, there's nobody picking on it. But if you're in the community tank, you might have somebody picking on that beta. I was thinking the mollies were doing it. Yeah. Well, the, the balloon mollies aren't particularly aggressive. They can be assassinators and bastards. But, yes. but when you have a long fin beta and they're hungry, um, they're dumb. I mean, honestly. And they'll just nip it, nip it fins. Yeah. Not, not for aggression's sake, but because they're very good about eating algae, string, uh, 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 algae hair, anything in the tank. They're essentially wide mouth lawnmowers. Yeah, tiger so barbs. Check them out. Tiger barbs will, will shred a beta up. If you have a group of five or six tiger barbs, they'll shred up a betta in, in 15 minutes. And because in my store, I've had somebody, you know, throw a betta who didn't know what they're doing in the uh, tank of, of barbs, and the barbs just shred them up. So, you know, we don't know what he has in his tank, but I'm saying there's probably just a problem with whoever's in the community tank. But yeah, otherwise, uh, hopefully those help you out. Otherwise, Kyle, do you have any place you buy betas from, or do you, do you keep betas? Uh, yeah, I actually have one in my office. Uh, his name is Swim Shady. Uh, <laughs> Swim Shady. <laughs> we should put Swim Shady music right here. <laughs> we really should. 
No, I, I had one in college too. That was uh, Clint Eastwater. See, that's what I want to talk to you about. AKA the outlaw Josie Scales. AKA the high tank drifter. AKA the fish with no name. I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan, but um, I'll yeah, tell Robbie I, I who Clint Eastwood is later. Oh no, he's he's the guy that does all those action movies that looks like a nutsack. That is correct. Right. He, he, wait, he's the guy that like had the pistol and the. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Thank you. I was going to go um, Harry Woody, but that didn't seem appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I usually get them at, you know, local fish stores or where I like to go. Um, and if you don't have one around, um, there are a few places online. There are some specific, like, actual beta breeders um, that usually do real high end. Um, like Swim Shady is a, a placat beta that I got at a local fish store. Um, but the other thing that's really easy to do with a beta is to overfeed them. Um, I've seen a lot of people that just like throw food and food and food on top of these guys and they'll just keep eating and eating and eating and that can cause a lot of problems. So I always recommend, you know, especially if you're new to them, maybe every other day feedings instead of daily or multiple, multiple times a day kind of thing, just kind of cut it back because they can go a lot longer between feedings than most other fish. That and rotate their food. Because they, yes. they already have slow digestion issues, so rotating food does a lot for them. So every other day, feed them, but you know, first day, pellets. Next day, um, fr- uh, freeze-dried bloodworms. Next day, pellets, freeze-dried bloodworms, or you can even mix it up with actual bloodworms. There's a lot you can feed a beta. Spaghetti and meatballs. Rotate out your food. It goes a long way. What do you because, got, Adam? You got anything on betas? Or uh, how about the comment of the uh, Endler Hobbit? <laughs> does the Endler Hobbit have anything on betas? No, I was just thinking that if he's got the the betas in, because he had two betas with the the balloon body mollies. That's what I it sounds like. Mollies are just probably beating the piss out of them. It's probably like all star wrestling in there at night when the light goes down. Oh yeah, you guys are just mean to get mollies. ready to rumble. Have you ever seen mollies? Like they can be vicious. I don't know. I got. I agree. I got balloon mollies right now with a so beta. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Your your mollies are passive aggressive. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> All right, so apparently there is a bunch of different questions, but before we do, Jimmy, do you have anything going on this week? Do I have anything going on this week? I, I did last have. Last week. I, I, I was uh, looking for my, my koi. They're laying on the bottom of, of my pond, and they're so cold, they're all wearing little scarves and hats and stuff, so uh, eventually I'm going to have to go out there, drain that pond, and try to catch those damn koi and bring I mean, them in. have to. It seems a, a bit of a harsh word. You just not they're quite. knocking on the window robbie i gotta get them in you're not quite sure if you want to leave them leave them there no nah, i don't how know how cold is it up there uh today it's 50 degrees as a high as a high and the wind's only blowing like 752 miles an hour from the north yeah it's, it's that miserable sounds terrible and it's raining and my koi looked cold but well they can, they can suck it up also i i heard that you saw josh damal again this week i did <laughs> i forgot about that so um if you've heard of this podcast before josh damal is a north dakota native we're, we're in minnesota josh is building a home um right close to us right close to us i can't tell you where and undisclosed it, location undisclosed location but anyway I've, I've seen josh maybe six seven eight times this summer i've shook dice with him at the local convenience store i my full-time gig is i work for a bread company and I deliver to all the stores and stuff. And so I run into Josh. And so um, the other day on Friday, my wife calls me and says, hey, let's go to Zorba's, which is our local pizza, pizza joint. It's pizza and Mexican. I don't know identity. It's very great well. food. It's great food. So you could yeah. suck it, Robbie. That's where I met my wife was at a Zorba's. Did you? Well, yeah. we'll, talk, we'll talk about that later. 
And uh, so a- anyway, in this day and age, of course, now we're all wearing face masks. And as we go uh, get down to their meal, we were walking out and we, we, Josh Jamal and I lock eyes as we do. With masks on. With masks on. And he goes, Bread dude, how you doing? I said, great. Bread dude. Yeah. And I, I go, what's up? He goes, better than muffin, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go, what you up to? He goes, still working on the damn house and stuff. And he goes, have a great day. I said, yep. And my wife stood there with her mouth open. She goes, thanks for the intro, asshole. I did not introduce my wife to Josh Jamal. <laughs> well, I mean. I didn't even think about it. I was just like. It, it is half your fault. I mean, she was sitting there just so, so excited to meet him, frothing at the loins, and then just yeah, forgot just, about it. Yeah. So, like, I didn't hear that for 15 minutes in the car. You, know, you could have told him, you know, we were married. or so. I said, and ruin your chance of scoring with Josh Jamal. I was just more upset that I, I'm a big fan of movie. I think it's 42 or 43. I can't remember the, the number. But it's basically a bunch of these super A-list celebrities that got together and got, like, the worst scripts of all time. Like, they have Hugh Jackman with testicles on his neck. Like, it, it's some of the best <laughs> movie you've ever seen. Super R-rated for those that are listening. Are we going to talk about Beazle? Yes. There's a, apparently at the end of the show, there's this whole scene of the very last skit, so to speak, and it's Josh Damal with his animated cat, Beazle, and it's a very inappropriate cat. Very disturbing. Question. Disturbing. And you did not ask him those questions. So we're going to have to wait until next Orbis trip. You you have told me a time and time again. Next time you see Damal, you ask him about Beazle the cat. Beazle the cat. And then I I watch Beazle the cat on the YouTube, and I'm not too sure I want to ask him about Beazle the cat. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yes, it is. Hopefully he got paid well. But uh, I have two things this week. Oh, do you? I do. So number one, we went to the, uh, I went to, you were, you were busy. This was all last minute because I didn't even know they were going to be open. But the Fargo um, Exotic Pet Expo, I went up there, got to meet some fans. Uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, to see one. So shout out to one of our users in Discord, Mad Cow. Got to hang out with her uh, directly and uh, met some new people for sure. And also solidified that uh, I'm not a snake guy. You're not a snake guy? No, not at all. But they show you a garter snake? No, no, I'm not scared of them. I'll hold them. I'm just like, I'm talking to them like, oh, so uh, what do you feed these particular ones? And they're going through it. I'm like, oh, this one's mice. That one's mice. Yeah, this one's mice too. Basically mice. And I'm like, so you keep colonies of mice, live mice that you breed? Oh, yeah, we have a whole breeding program at our house. I'm like, yeah, no, uh, I've heard of live food cultures, but just keeping mice to have like two snakes, that's a bit much. I'm taking you to the zoo one of these days and we'll talk about life. Apparently, just not my cup of tea. That's why I'm an aquarium guy, not a not a snake guy. So, anyways, shout out to that. Had a great time, and uh, we had a uh, sponsor for our 50th celebration episode. And the gentleman was so kind as to make this custom um, two and a half gallon wall mounted aquarium bracket. It's a fantastic bracket. You can find it on BarnwoodHardware.com. And I, I got the prototype right. I hung it up. And I, I got to put this out there. It's anything you put on the wall is a lot of weight. So know that you're screwing things into a stud. Well, I have a shrimp rack that I put it on and it's essentially two, two by fours pressed together. And I just put the screws right in between the, like the little slot between the two boards. Well, now that I have all these shrimp racks started up, my shelf adjusted and spread apart those two boards and so falls off my bracket. So uh, the bracket's fine. Best bracket I've ever had. The the dip who installed it, this guy, uh, had a shattered two and a half gallon aquarium with shrimp all over the floor, and I uh, had to get new underwear. So uh, make sure that if you're ever wall mounting in an aquarium, put it into a stud. Don't put it in between a crevice. 
<laughs> or uh, make sure that you don't put expensive shrimp in the tank when you put a wall. I mean, that too. But also, if you look on the website, barnhornedhardware.com, you'll see the picture of the two and a half gallon wall mounted bracket. That's my tank. And you can see the slit between the two boards that it fell off of. So uh, bracket's great. That's definitely a shout out to Barnhorn Hardware, but don't do that. Just learn from me. Jimmy, How about you, you got a lot of teaching. Yeah, teach me, Jimmy. Actually, he was here when I did it. He just giggled at me. I'm the one that built the rack for him, so that's what I was laughing at. Right, right. So, Adam, did you have any uh, hilarious stories or do anything this week? No, I almost dodged a bite from a turtle, but that's normal. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just a Tuesday. <laughs> that sounds like you're at a bar and a turtle's just sitting there drinking. That's just Tuesday. No, my my I took my wife out and she got just hammered because she's a teacher and it's school is just such shit this year. <laughs> But, yeah, we're not going into that either. Shout out to all the teachers that have to deal with these uh, incremental COVID laws, county per county. Especially in Minnesota, we have this weird tier system that the more people get sick, the less people have to come to school. So it's, yeah, I, it's, it's weird. It's a win-win I, for the kids. I got, her, I got her wine from the liquor store, and I brought four bottles, and I'm like, hang on, I need a couple more. And then the lady looks at me, and she, I'm like, my wife's a teacher, and she goes, that poor dear, and she gave me a discount and said we sell it by the case. <laughs> oh, oh! That's going to be my new line when I go to the liquor store. I'm, I'm a teacher. Winning, winning. Well, Kyle, hopefully you had a better week than us. I had a pretty uneventful week, actually. Just a lot of uh, nine to five, going to work and coming home. Damn! See that? It seems so much better than breaking tanks and. Well, we're here to getting be. bit by turtles. Well, we did have a tank overflow at the office, though. Oh we, boy! Uh, we we. We had some Val get away from us and block an overflow, and uh, everything from the sump ended up on the floor. That's better than on your computer. Hey, did you have the heater in the true. sump? Uh, no, no heater oh. was in the tank. I was going to say, Gobalt won't cover that. Gobalt won't cover that. <laughs> we, we've, we've had, had that, that with less. Yes. <laughs> so since we started this uh, chat, we have a plethora of com uh, questions for you. So uh, I just want to get these questions out of the way, and then we can go to saltwater chemicals. Does that sound fair? Sure, sure. Yeah. Excellent. Ask away. So, to start the party, right, I have to scroll up here. There, there's a couple, like, you know, meme questions. So give me one moment. Oh, the memes are hilarious. Are they? There's They're on point today? There's good ones going in there. Um, did you when did Cobalt them? first start selling Blue Fruity Pebbles? Blue Fruity Pebbles? It was after the red ones came out. So <laughs> for the people that can understand What the, the hell are Fruity Pebbles? We had less um, yeah. on before talking about fish food. And Cobalt's flake food has a proprietary blue-colored flake, and that it is does. the probiotics inside the flakes. So, well, yeah, so, so the blue flake actually has a triple dose of vitamins, minerals, and immunostimulants. Um, all the flakes have probiotics. The blue flakes just have a triple dose. Oh, okay. And it's, it's basically like hiding vitamins in with all the tasty stuff um, because the blue flakes don't have like, you know, if it's a brine shrimp flavor or whatever, it doesn't have the brine shrimp and the blue flake. It's just got the, the vitamin blend in there to kind of hide it in and amongst everything else so that some of the more finicky and picky fish, like um, you know, I feed with my tank here, I've got a, um, a green mandarin that'll actually come up and eat flake food. And uh, he likes to pick the blue flakes out, which is kind of crazy. So I just got uh, a restocked up on Flake, and there's a lot of great uh, um, options, but uh, mycin shrimp, am I saying that correctly? Mycin. Mycin shrimp. Uh, that's very hard for, to find. Um, I've tried to find it before, and you guys have a special Flake. Uh, I, I don't know if it's on 
clearance right now, but I got another pound of it, and it's it's been going really good for feedings for sure. We do. We have a mysis, and we have a mysis spirulina. If you have uh, some fish that are a little more on the veggie side of things. Well, I am looking oh, at a giant wow. ball of shark, and he's looking quite thick right now. So he could go on a diet and have some spirulina. <laughs> nice. All right. So next question: um, Why is reef flowers simply better than everything else? So I'm going to save that question um, oh. for the plant ferts. So what we're going to do is we're going to do two episodes. So this is episode one to talk to you about the saltwater chemicals, and we're having another separate episode to talk about plant ferts, but why is reef flowers marine side better? I think we'll answer that today, won't we? Absolutely. Okay. There, there's, there's a couple of different answers, some that stores don't like, or at least one that stores don't like, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. And uh, who's the hottest female actor, in your opinion, and why does Rob's choose Betty White? Um, you'll have to go back to episode two. Uh, in the podcast for the Betty White comment, and uh, you know we're going to just cease and desist the female actor comment. How dare you? Um, would you? Um, Rob's has a unusual fascination with Betty White. I do, and uh, it's downright creepy and perverse. It's not healthy. No, it's not healthy at all. I think that's uh, uh, other than the where's the idea for aqua sponge mats from Cobalt come from? So it actually, uh, it it's came from angry wives. <laughs> like my wife will probably kill me for saying this, but, um, she doesn't listen to this I, podcast. When I do water changes, I end up with almost as much water on the floor as I do in the buckets. Um, I have a bad habit of forgetting there's a bucket behind me and stepping backwards and knocking things over and stuff like that. Um, so we, we started looking around like, well, what can we do? You know, Putting a, a towel down on a hardwood floor, you slip and slide all over the place. And I did, before I came to Cobalt, I did aquarium maintenance for seven and a half years. And, you know, everywhere we'd go, we'd put down these huge waterproof tarps. And that's just not feasible to keep a giant waterproof tarp, like, sitting in the middle of your living room. So we kind of looked around and we were trying to figure out what can we do and, you know, came across dense weave microfiber and how do we turn that into something that we can use in aquariums. So we put a, a non-slip rubber backing on the back so that water doesn't seep through, it doesn't slide around on you, and the dense weave mi microfiber absorbs a ton of water. Um, our estimates that we put on there is we say a gallon of water per uh, five square feet, but in all honesty, it, it does a lot more than that. Um, so, so I see and, the tag here, holds three gallons of water up to, Yes, that's incredible. Yeah, our, our, our big guy holds three gallons of water, and, uh, you know, we sized them to fit your standard aquarium footprint. So there's a three-foot long one, a four-foot, a five-foot, that sort of thing. Um, and with my tank being five feet, I've got the five-footer right there, and uh, it stays in front of the tank, and they're machine washable. So if you spill a bunch on there and it starts smelling, you pop them in the washer. Um, but they're great. I mean, it absorbs a ton of water. See, Jimmy, I, I think that uh, you need to do some R&D testing for cobalt. And let them know how it works with puppy pads in the future. I should. I <clears throat> we've got three dogs, and they go outside, and <laughs> there could be no water anywhere. They all come in, and they're tracking mud and and water. Would that work for somebody who has pets that that track in? <laughs> I'm just saying, absolutely. Hey, so we, we we can sell to other people because we've talked about this before. I don't, I can't remember the percentage, but most people that have aquariums have dogs, have cats, have hamsters, dribbles, rats, uh, birds, and stuff. So I mean. What a great cross-selling over period thing that I came up with there. Not intended for your dog's urine. All right. Can we throw that in the dryer after you wash it? 
we recommend just hanging it out to dry. Um, if you throw it in the dryer, if you forget and like turn it on with a, a heat cycle, it'll actually start to make the rubber on the back really tacky, and then it like sticks to your floor, and it can leave marks and stuff like that. So you don't want to heat the rubber up too much. What's the cost of those? What, what do you guys retail those for? I believe retail, I think the small one uh, starts around 35 40 bucks retail. Hot and then damn, it goes Jimmy. up to the, the big, the XXL, I think, uh, retails right about 100 bucks. We, we just got one of our users that messaged us saying, um, just bought me an Aquamat, nice items, spilt a bunch of water Saturday, cleaning my filters. Well, you know, 35 bucks is, is not a bad price. I'll, I'll tell you, we went to the Minnesota State Fair. They're selling um, one foot by two foot something real similar to that for dogs and stuff. And we paid 40 bucks for that for a one foot by two foot. And uh, they sell a bigger one and they want a hundred bucks for it. And people were walking out. People who have dogs said, you know, they, they put it, especially like if you have your dog coming in an area where, where you have linoleum or tile and stuff, and they come in with wet, um, with wet feet. It actually, as soon as they step on it, it absorbs it and stuff. And it doesn't move. Once you stick them down, it, it doesn't move because of that, that rubber sticky back that it has. Yeah, it's great. They don't uh, slide around or bunch up on you when you're doing maintenance. Are you able to vacuum those then when you're... Absolutely. So if it's dry, you can vacuum it up. Who knew that mm -hmm. a uh, Aquamat would be so fascinating? You know what? We probably just sold 10 just now. Right there. Done. <laughs> done deal. I know we will when, when my <laughs> wife listens to this podcast. Well, we have been off track since the beginning here. So let's get on track and let's start the, the conversation. So this is part interview as well. So Kyle, what got you into fish keeping and being a marine biologist? Like what inspired you? So when I was young, uh, my grandparents used to come down and babysit us like on weekends, stuff like that. If our parents wanted to get away, that sort of thing. And when I was five, my grandpa took me to the bookstore and bought me a couple of books. And he would always let me pick one out and then he'd pick one out because he wanted to, you know, read books to the kids and stuff like that. And he picked out, the book he picked out was I Want to Be a Fighter Pilot because he was a, a, in the Air Force. He was a tail gunner and a B-17 in World War II. And the book I picked out was one called I Want to Be a Marine Biologist. And I got just obsessed with that book as a five-year-old kid. And like, you know, every night I'd have my mother read it to me. And it got to the point where I had the entire book memorized and I could pretend to read it by just knowing what the entire book was from start to finish. And I mean, she must have read that two or 300 times a year to me. And ever since then, I was obsessed with wanting to be a marine biologist and got my first fish tank at age seven. And my mother is absolutely terrified of fish. Like, she can't even be in the same room as fish. Um, you know, she can't even sit at a table where someone's eating fish. Like, she's terrified of them. So when I got my first fish tank, she was like, hey, this is on you. You know, if, if the fish need fed, you have to feed them. If the fish need cleaned, you got to clean it. You know, if the fish need decorations, you got to get it. So at age seven, I started taking care of fish tanks. I've had them ever since. I'm just trying to, like, wrap my head around that. Normally, if... You hear that parents like don't want a dog in the house or don't want a cat in the house. They're like, sorry, you're just not getting a cat or dog. But they're like, nope, I'm not going to stop your dreams. I may crap my pants every time I see a fish go blub. But I got you, son. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah. As the story goes, uh, for my seventh birthday, we went to the Ohio uh, State Fair and they had like the, the thing where you throw ping pong balls into the yes. gold and win goldfish. And I won a pair of them and threw yeah. a fit because she wasn't going to let me have them. And finally, I, I yelled and screamed so much that she gave in. And that was the start of everything. See uh, that, kids? Goldfish in a bowl. 
you know, marine biologists. See how that works. We've talked about this a couple times on the show, and I just want to go down to the final verdict on this. Um, it's a shitty way of giving away fish for sure. It's can it's done ninety nine percent of the time extremely inhumane. But Jimmy has a point. These fish technically are just common goldfish that they use, which are similar to any other bait fish that people abuse for fishing purposes and kill with a hook. I can see the both sides of the coin. One, don't do it. It's inhumane. The other, hey, it brings fish uh, fish people into the hobby. We would not have Kyle without this, clearly. So uh, it started something. And we've been hearing this more and more as we do the podcast. So I started jaded. I, now I see both sides. I actually had those for nine years. Yeah, so stick it in your hat and smoke it, Robs. Hey, quick question for you, Kyle. Your your mom afraid of fish. Is there a story behind that? Um, my mom's best friend was deathly afraid of birds, and 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 here's the story. There, she got a bat stuck in her hair. Not a bird, but a bat, and so she was deathly afraid of birds, just even flying in the sky. No, there's to the best of my knowledge, no story. And if there is, she's never actually spoken of it. So maybe there's something so traumatic she just can't even speak about it. But she's just like, she she doesn't get in the ocean. Like if you go to the beach, she like is terrified. If she like, you know, uh, if you go to the lake and you want to jump in and go swimming or something, like she won't go close to a shore because she's afraid that the fish hang out by the shore and they'll come get her and all this stuff. I mean, absolutely terrified. So did- like even afraid of the fish of eating a fish you'd think she'd be like eat that fish you know <laughs> she just doesn't want to see it because like just the just seeing it the fish sitting there just she has to leave the room now did you use this to your advantage like you know when you stuck your girlfriend over at the house when you're 16 years old and you want to do smoochy smoochy in the bedroom and you just took that bed and you put it right in front of your door and she was like i'm not coming in there but i know you got her in there that is the most <laughs> evil thing that you would think of just out of the blue like that jimmy i would do that that that's a great idea that unfortunately I I didn't think of at the time. Ah. Well, Jimmy's an evil genius, so I mean that's that's how that works. But so that's how you got into this hobby. Um, how did the the career go? Like, what is it? we get continual questions from um, for marine biologists? And now we have one in front of us. So when you go for it, you have you go through studies, and then do you go through some sort of internship, or do you just find a company that needs your expertise? All of the above. Um, oh so when I started um, with my undergrad, I went in for, um, I actually went in for aquatic veterinary medicine. And I was convinced I was going to be an aquavet. And the more I, you know, kind of investigated it, the more I found that there's only like a handful of aquavets in the world and they all have jobs and there's no openings for aquavets anywhere. So you basically have to wait for someone to, die or retire to try and get in and take their their spot at like a public aquarium or a zoo or something like that. So I, uh, as an undergrad, I majored in biology with a concentration in what we call EvoDevo, which is evolutionary developmental biology, and in particular genetics. And I actually was fortunate enough to go to a school that it didn't have a marine biology program, but our genetics professor, she researched sea urchins. And she worked hand in hand with Baylor University to do the sea urchin genome project. And so I, in undergrad, started doing sea urchin genetics, and I mapped out four different genes in Strongylus introtus purpuratus, the California purple urchin. And that got me like really hooked on 
invertebrates and, you know, invertebrate ecology and things like that. And I was like, well, I, I know I want to do something marine related. I really found that I just, you know, kind of happened into loving invertebrates. So I went down the path to get a master's in marine biology at uh, the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. And while I was there, I just wanted something to do, um, you know, because the way the marine labs worked is you'd have day long labs and then you'd have like off days where you didn't have any classes at all. Because a lot of your labs took place like on beaches or out on boats with, uh, with NOAA, things like that. So I was looking around for something and there was a fish store down the road from my apartment that was hiring. And I started there and I started basically as the tank cleaner guy and eventually went to, to run a maintenance department here in uh, Charlotte and ran, we had, you know, five trucks and six technicians and serviced about 400 accounts. Um, and just from there really went, well, I like this side of things, but I want to get more into the, the product side of things. Like it's, it's nice seeing all these tanks and, you know, doing all the maintenance, but I really want something that's going to be more impactful to the hobby as a whole. And that's when I found Cobalt and went down and they just happened to have a position available and I basically sat there at the front door until they'd see me and talk to me and went in and sat down with one of the owners and had a conversation and left with a job offer. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where I always tell people, I hear a lot, you know, people always like, man, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I always tell people, well, you should be like, just, you can go pursue it. There's a thousand different things that, you know, fall under the marine biology header. Um, you know, my best friend from college, she works up in Alaska with fish and wildlife department. And, you know, she also went in for marine biology and now she works um, with all the uh, catches that come in. So whenever these boats come in with their catches, she's one of the officers that makes sure that they have, you know, fish that are the right size or the right, you know, gender or whatever that fit those laws. So there's all sorts of marine biology avenues out there. You got hired by Cobalt. And number one, I know now how to get hired. Because uh, I'm just going to go sit in <laughs> front of the office. Get a just, bottle of wine. Just lay in be front of the on door. the door. Yeah. You know, get my application read. But uh, you guys got into marine chemicals due to uh, reef flowers, correct? Yeah. And so when I started uh, with Cobalt uh, almost four years ago now, Cobalt was primarily a freshwater company um, because the owners are all big freshwater guys. You got cichlid guys. You got planted guys. They're all big freshwater guys. And so I was really the first saltwater guy to come in there. We had been looking, Cobalt in general, had been looking to get into the chemical side of things. And rather than try and, you know, start something ourselves because of the, the crazy amount of red tape that comes with making additives, we started looking for partners. And that's when we came across Reef Flowers. And they're the number one brand in Europe, but they didn't have any U.S. distribution. So we basically sat down and met with them and went through their products and they gave us a bunch of stuff to try out. We started using it in the tanks around the office and really just fell in love with the products um, for a couple of different reasons, but really fell in love with the products, partnered up with them, brought them over. And now, you know, we partnered with Reflowers to be the official U.S. distribution for them. And inadvertently, I became the basically head nerd for Reflowers in the U.S. And uh, it's whenever a, it's we an go to shows, title. anything like that. I'm the guy that, that anybody who has a question, they come to me. The beard of knowledge. There you go. The beard of knowledge. I like it. The beard of knowledge. Well, what I want to do is I want to take this from both the advanced perspective, but definitely focus a lot on the beginner perspective because, number one, I'm not an expert in uh, marine tanks whatsoever. I've set up handfuls of uh, saltwater tanks in the past, and it's been something really basic. I, I haven't gone into reef tanks. 
I have a lot of friends that uh, do reef tanks. We even have uh, uh, Sean Kramer that we've had on the podcast before. He has a 2,000-gallon reef tank that does uh, fragging as a, a small side business, even though it's not small at all. Not small at all. <laughs> not small at all. But what I'd like to do is just get through a few beginner questions to start out with. So number one, just walk through the process of setting up any basic saltwater aquarium, um, just to go through how the cycle differentiates in any way. Yeah, so I think a lot of people kind of get scared by saltwater, um, and they really shouldn't. If you can set up a freshwater tank, you can set up a saltwater tank. The big difference is in saltwater, there's a few more pieces of equipment and a few more parameters to pay attention to. But basic, you know, setup, care, maintenance is, is very similar. Um, with a saltwater tank, I always recommend people go as big as their budget will allow. The bigger a tank is in saltwater, the easier it is to take care of. Um, and that's just simply because you don't have to worry about parameter swings nearly as much in a big tank versus a little tank. Uh, I know a lot of people like to get like the little, you know, five gallon or 10 gallon, you know, desktop style tanks and try salt water in that. And they get really frustrated with it. And it's because things like salinity are changing at the, you know, just you look at it wrong and you get a little evaporation, your salinity swings. So I always tell people go as big as they can possibly fit in their space or that their budget can afford. And when you set it up, it's a, it's a buy once, cry once kind of thing with salt water. <laughs> a lot of the equipment is very expensive, but buy the expensive stuff first so you're not wasting your money on the cheap stuff over and over and over until you finally give in and get the expensive stuff and the initial startup cost can be pretty high compared to freshwater well, but it's it's definitely rewarding let's walk through the the equipment so just to pick on uh, this we'll start with what fresh has again fresh has the mechanical filtration um whether it be a hang in the back filter canister filter however um you can add your own uh chemical um Filtration, such as like a UV filter, maybe carbon in the mm -hmm. filter somehow, and then biological filtration. So that's generally like bio balls somewhere in the media or a bio wheel on those hang in the back filters. Um, that's just, just for filtration purposes. You have a heater, you have aerators, you have the decor, which is generally either sand or gravel or some sort of mix in between. Am I missing a lot besides light? Pretty sure that's, uh, you can do sponge filters, but... What extras does saltwater need? So with saltwater, I, I know what we tend to see the most is tanks with sumps. And we use a sump filter on saltwater mainly because it's the easiest way to put all of your different reactors or skimmers or things like that and hide them out of view. Um, you don't have to have a sump to do a saltwater tank, but if you don't have a sump, you're going to have all that stuff basically in your tank, and it's just going to be more of an eyesore than it is anything else. But with, uh, with that, you have a protein skimmer, uh, which basically is a little device that makes a bunch of bubbles that helps pull fish waste out of the uh, water um, or dissolved proteins, organics, things like that. And that's just because um, the salt, um, saltwater tanks generally create more film on the top, correct? Absolutely. So it's that nasty protein film you'll get on the top without it. Um, that helps pull it out. Um, also, with salt water, things tend to kind of separate out of it a lot easier. So if you feed like a food that's high in like fatty acids or omega-3s, things like that, you'll get a lot of like runoff from the food, um, which we call dissolved organics, which get pulled out by a protein skimmer. Um, also with the salt water tank, UV, a lot of people use it. Um, I personally don't um, because I, I run a reef tank and there's two schools of thought. Some people say run the UV, some people say don't. I'm on the, the don't side of that. I don't like to zap all of my little copepods and amphipods and things like that. Um, 
Some people say run it because, you know, having the UV is more beneficial than not having it. Um, you can go either way with the UV. And then you have reactors, things for um, like GFO, which is a, you know, a phosphate removing media, or you have carbon reactors. Um, you can do refugiums on saltwater tanks, which have all sorts of macroalgaes and things like that. And basically you give an area for algae to grow, so it's not growing in your display. Um, so and then of course you have... Let's pause there, just so we can get sure. to some of these reactors. Because again, for beginners, there's a lot of times that they're hearing this, so that they don't understand what they, they are or do. So... Again, just elaborate on what these reactors, if you can. Yeah, so the main reactors we see, GFO is a big one. Uh, granular ferrous oxide is GFO. Um, you'll see it under a bunch of different names, but as long as it's a GFO, there's re uh, regular and synthetic. Um, synthetic's just basically a man-made version. It's essentially rust is, is basically what it boils down to, and it binds to phosphate in the water, and phosphate is one of the biggest elements for algae growth. So by having a GFO reactor, which is basically just a tube that water flows through, uh, it forces the water through the GFO, and it uh, pulls all the phosphate out so that you're not getting algae growth in your tank. You also have um, what do they call algae scrubbers as a type of reactor, which is basically another tube with a light bulb in the middle that grows algae, that you have an area where algae can grow, and it likes to grow there before it'll grow in your display. Um, that also helps pull nutrients out of the water. Um, you also have carbon reactors, uh, which you have in freshwater, which are just full of carbon, uh, as well as some of the various uh, filter medias that we see in saltwater. You know, things like um, exchange resins and ions and stuff like that that help pull, whether it be dissolved organics, whether it be things like nitrates, phosphates, that sort of stuff out of the water. Now, can any of these be used for freshwater purposes, or is this strictly saltwater and um, people just aren't using them because they're too expensive? Maybe that's the case? They can absolutely be used for freshwater. We tend to not see GFO used that much because if you have any sort of freshwater plants, GFO will pull out all the nutrients those freshwater plants need to grow as well. So if you use something like a GFO reactor on a planted tank, all your plants are going to suffer and die. So what about like the one that I like the most is like, like an algae reactor or algae um, refugium. Um, mm -hmm. The idea, again, you stated that they'll grow there first before they'll grow in your tank and create a mess. Is that the same case with uh, freshwater? Because I, I can already hear a lot of people with some good money just willing to drop it so they don't have to deal with some excess algae on their glass. So I've not seen anyone attempt a freshwater refugium, but it would be something that sounds like a lot of fun, and now it's something I absolutely want to try. R&D, uh, baby. R&D. The, the big thing that we see with saltwater is the spectrum of light that you have to grow coral and the spectrum of light that you use to grow macroalgaes are very different. And the algae will grow underneath your macroalgae lights a lot faster than it will under your more blue spectrum aquarium uh, coral style lights. The more you know. So I know we cut you off. What other equipment are we missing? Let's see. Um, about the only other thing that you're going to see a lot of times in saltwater tanks um, outside of these big, strong lights are wave makers and power heads. And we use all sorts of, you can go, you know, from just something that just shoots a stream of water out all the way up to ones now that like sink to your phone and will simulate like tide swells and lagoon style waves or reef crest style waves and really make a lot of current. Um, one thing that we like in saltwater tanks is current. We love current. The more current you have, up to a certain point, obviously, you don't want to be blasting everything off the rock, but the more current you have, the happier everything seems to stay. Um, whereas with, you know, a lot of freshwater planted-style tanks, you tend to have a lower current. Um, you don't want to, like, uproot all your plants. 
But if you think about, you know, where these corals grow on reefs, you know, a lot of them grow towards the top of the reef where they have all this wave action day in and day out. And you want to try and simulate that in your aquarium. Even when we went to Sean Kramer's place, he had that 2000 gallon reef tank and his number one problem that they didn't plan for originally in building was trying to get flow right. And any large reef tank, that, that's a ridiculous example because it's so huge. That's 18 foot long. Any reef tank has uh, problems with flow. So th- the real reason that you have to think about it is any fish in your tank can move to go get food if you feed at the top. Your corals, which are, which are animals, have to eat, and the only way you can deliver food to them is with the flow. So it's all the micronutrients in the water that they feed off of. And if they're not getting adequate flow, they'll starve. That's, that's the simplest answer. Yep. And also with flow, you don't want anything to settle on those corals too, because the corals can't like, if something falls on top of them, like sand or algae settles on top of them, something like that, they can't just get up, shake it off and move over to another spot. They're at the mercy of the flow to get stuff like, you know, sand grains and stuff blown off of them before it becomes a problem. The uh, best thing that I have, and I didn't know this on my pump, I have a nine tank, it's all 10 gallons in one uh, rack. So it's uh, three levels of three tanks. And I have it all plumbed together with PVC piping, and I decided to get this uh, specialty pump because I was looking for the gallons per hour and something I could control. So I could turn up the flow or turn down the flow depending on what I needed. And I didn't realize there's a special button because this is an all Chinese pump that I got. And there's a special button on there. I'm like, what does this do? And then I crapped my pants because it was just spewing water. It was trying to wave generation through my PVC. So imagine you sitting there and it's just like puking water in like a rhythm out my PVC holes, just spewing everywhere. <laughs> it was a lot of uh, education right there that I got the uh, special pump with controls. <laughs> wave mode's always fun. I'm like, what the hell am I doing wrong? And then sure enough, I'm seeing the wave light on the controller flash. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can fix this. That's $12 you ever spent. <laughs> Best. No, that was... Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to remember how many gallons per hour that was. I think it was like 5,500 gallons per hour. It was something ridiculous, but I could turn it down to like nothing. So I, I got it for like, I think it was 80 bucks. They're, they're okay. I wouldn't buy the pump again, but I'm always trying to like... Save a dollar because you're no, cheap no, no. ass. I'm trying to review shitty pumps. Uh, oh, yeah, that's it. Uh-huh. There's this whole episode that we, we need to plan for, Jimmy, <laughs> What's where we that? review products from Wish.com. Oh, and I, I think we should have Kyle back on being R and D. Oh, I would be hundred percent on board with that. We See? we will place an order and we will contact you in two to three years. Three years when the stuff when shows, up, shows up, and we will do it. At, I I have quite the list that I've been planning, but uh, I think that would be a, a fantastic. <laughs> but, but you don't have the twelve dollars to pay for it, you know, because it's only three hundred items for twelve bucks. No, no, no. Like I've purchased stuff over the years. I already have a a, a, cat, a list built and stitches too. I'm yeah. just waiting for the other half to come that I ordered three years ago. <laughs> right. You'll probably get free COVID with it too. Yeah, there's some there's some hardcore gimmicks. Even like that. Uh, what was that? The uh, charcoal um, activated carbon cube. Never change your water again. It was some gimmick. I, my wife bought charcoal to put in the dog's water dish, and the dog thinks it's just something to play with. And, and she paid like $12 for these three pieces of, looks to be like large pieces of charcoal she throws in a water dish to help purify it. And I just, I, I, I know she wants to just save time and energy, but I think it's okay just to change a water dish once in a while. Right. So to get I mean, back- I've got a charcoal grill. I can grab a couple of briquettes and sell them to you for half that. Oh, right? really? And then your dog can chew them up. Do they smell like steak? 
They can if you want. Yeah. That's an extra 10 bucks, though. All right. So to get back on topic, when you're setting up this tank, is there any special steps? Be- I guess what I'm trying to get at is when I say marine chemical, it makes like I'm sounding like I'm bleaching a tank. But when I'm setting this up, what do I have to put in? Is it just salt or is there anything else just to do a standard marine tank? Water. Yeah, water, water is important, um, but it's not, it's not just any kind of salt. It's a specific marine salt, and there are all different kinds of salts. I mean, if you just Google, like, marine salt, you'll see probably 40, 50 different brands, and each one mixes up at different parameters. And you want a salt that's going to mix up to the parameters that you're trying to hit for the livestock you plan on keeping. Um, if you're just going to do what we call a fowler tank, fish only with live rock, your base salts that don't have elevated calcium, elevated magnesium, that sort of thing, are going to be perfectly fine for you. But if you're going to do different kinds of coral, you want some of your trace elements to be elevated. Things like magnesium, alkalinity, calcium, strontium, potassium. Um, There's a lot of different elements, and most salt mixes have between 72 and 78 trace elements. And you want to make sure that you're getting the right amount of trace elements for the livestock that you're going to put in there. So I see on Reef Flowers website that there's three main salts that you guys offer. There's the sea salt, the coral salt, and reef salt. What are the differences between the three? Because I'm assuming those are the three that you guys offer as the array. Yeah, those those are kind of the three tiers and the three that we find are most um, universally used by, by most hobbyists. The sea salt is going to be your basic for your fowler tanks, your fish only with live rock. It has your standard array of 76 trace elements. Um, and it doesn't have anything elevated. It's just kind of as close to just plain old ocean water as you can get. Um, because when you're just keeping fish or you're keeping like, you know, fish in a couple of shrimp or something like that, you don't have to worry about some of these elevated macros and uh, micro trace elements. Then we have the coral salt, which is the one I use on my tank, um, which is designed with elevated cal- calcium, elevated magnesium, um, elevated potassium and a slightly lower alkalinity um, for tanks that are a mixed reef style tank, which is primarily what most people run, but it's also designed for people that do any sort of dosing, whether it be something like a calcium reactor or a caulkfoster, which is the really old school way of dosing calcium, or someone that adds like additives like all the different uh, reef flowers products that we have. And then you have the reef salt, which has really elevated levels of all the trace elements and that's for people who don't want to dose like if you're just like hey i'm adamant i don't want to dose anything i just want to get everything from my water changes the reef salt's the one for you uh, or if you have something like a frag tank where you have a whole bunch of little frag corals that you're trying to get to grow out and really establish themselves quickly or you have like a really heavily heavily sps style tank with your your small polyp stony corals that need elevated levels of a lot of these minerals that's going to be the right salt for you but what? most people do a, a mixed reef. Um, I've seen usually 90-ish percent of reef tanks we see are mixed in some capacity. So the coral salt is going to be that perfect salt for them. So again, that's to get everything started with uh, setting up a tank to have the micronutrients and all the other supplements for your style of tank getting going. But then what other uh, chemicals, what other supplements do we need for each type of tank? Yeah, so a lot that of it just has ready, to do with... I apologize. Or is that just ready to go? Well, so that's ready to go right off the bat. But as you start adding livestock, things like corals are going to slowly deplete those nutrients out of the water. 
a lot of it's going to be returned by water changes. And in salt water, we recommend, you know, usually every other week water changes to help replenish that trace elements. But once those corals, once you have enough of them in there or you have, you know, larger colonies, things like that, water changes aren't going to keep up with everything the corals are pulling out of the water. That's when you have to start dosing and adding these different additives and chemicals to keep up with what they're pulling out. And so that's when you see the big three that everyone always doses or should always dose, um, alkalinity, calcium, and magnesium. So alkalinity um, basically helps keep your pH stable. And it's, you know, it's just like in freshwater. It's a, it's a measure of the calcium carbonate dissolved in the water. Calcium is essential for coral skeletons. They can't grow without calcium. They need it because they form these calcium carbonate uh, skeletal structures. And then magnesium goes hand in hand with that. It helps with coral flesh development. It also helps with coloration in corals and things like that. And not having enough magnesium can severely stunt colors and growth in your corals. So if you look in there and all your corals kind of look bland and bleak, that's often an indication of a magnesium deficiency in your tank. So I see here that you have uh, products listed as easy balling. Explain that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy. Besides easy being a baller. So, so, the so they're called the balling set because the guy who invented them back in the 80s uh, is named Hans Werner Balling. And he worked for Tropic Marin. Um, I believe still does if he's not retired yet. Um, if he's not retired, he still works for Tropic Marin. But he was kind of the first guy that was like, hey, we now have the technology to measure what's being depleted out of our saltwater tanks. How do we put that back in? And he came up with what he called the balling method, um, which is a way to add mineral salts to a tank to replenish alkalinity levels, calcium, and magnesium. And that became known as the balling method. Now there's two different ways that we do it at Reflowers. We do easy balling, which is actually what I do on my tank. Um, and easy balling puts everything into two jars um, so that you have one is all alkaline or alkalinity uh, salts, and then the other one is your calcium, magnesium, strontium, all the different trace elements that go with it. The advantage to that is it's everything you need in two bottles, you dose them together, and you're done. Um, the disadvantage to that is that if you need more calcium and you just want to add calcium, you can't add just calcium because you have to add the magnesium with it, the uh, potassium with it, everything like that. So that's when the full balling set comes in. So if you're, if you're getting into, say, you have a bunch of clams or a bunch of SPS that are pulling a lot of calcium, but not as much magnesium out, and you need to elevate your calcium, you can use the actual balling set, which is a four-part system that has an alkalinity, a calcium, a magnesium, and one we call the ionic balancer, which is all your various trace elements. Um, and then you can add just that calcium element um, versus having to add all of it all at once. So I've heard rumors on these uh, products in the past, especially with like plant ferts, that getting these separate individual bottles allows a better concentration uh, and a better overall product because sometimes mixing these chemicals together over time allows faster oxygen uh, oxygenization in the bottle. Oxygenization? I, I got to quit drinking before the podcast. It is National Beer Day. Is there any um, advantage like that just for them sitting in the bottle reacting together? Or is that not an issue with this particular product? Yeah, so you never want to actually mix the chemicals together in the balling set um, because it, the way that they work is they're, they're a series of, I say mineral salts, I probably should explain that. It's the minerals themselves are put into salt forms, which are dissolved into um, RO water. 
and that stays in that solution until it reacts with another mineral. So the way the balling system works is your part A unlocks the parts in part B, your part B unlocks the parts in part C, your part C unlocks the parts in part A, and so on. So by dosing them all together, you unlock each other. So if you dump them all together, you basically end up with a sludge that just kind of forms a hard mass because they all just basically unlock into a pile of salts, um, for lack of a better way to describe it. That just kind of looks like... Um, a turd monkey. Like a, yeah, just like a big old hunk of like gelatinous goop. Turd so monkey. you add them, add them into your tank, it distributes across the tank, then you add the next one, that distributes out and it starts unlocking it as they come into contact with each other and react. So then, and that way you get a nice, even elevation and everything instead of it just spiking all at once and stressing everything out so then if you can you always want to buy the four-part balling set um rather than the easy set unless you really don't want to mess with four bottles kind of uh the four parts you can be a lot more specific you can add more calcium if you need it or more magnesium um the two part is going to be a lot easier if you have a small tank where you know you don't have these giant ratios that you're trying to hit you're not trying to add you know 70 or 80 ppm of calcium to a tank that's you know 400 gallons that's going to take a ton of liquid um, if you have a small tank when you're dealing with much smaller quantities the easy balling is going to be a lot easier um, i use it mainly because i'm lazy um, so being lazy is a perfectly acceptable reason to use the easy balling um, but and a lot of that too is about a year ago if you asked me do i dose anything i'd be like nah i don't have time for dosing and now I actually dose four different things in my tank and couldn't be happier. But a lot of it for me was kind of getting over the, I don't want a whole bunch of bottles sitting there where I've got to dose all these different bottles all the time. And the nice thing with the easy balling is it's two bottles and you don't have to dose it nearly as often as you do the four part, but it's not as specific or in depth as the four part is. But the bottles are so pretty. <laughs> the bottles are very pretty. But if you have a rimless tank like mine with no canopy, there's nowhere to put the bottles other than cramming them underneath your, your tank. And then I've got my big sump down there, and there's just not a lot of room. Shame. That's when you walk into your wife's kitchen and go, the hell with these dishes? We're keeping this stuff in here. Done. Just don't put it underneath with your, like, you know, toilet bowl cleaners. You don't want to mix that up. <laughs> you know, you're talking about this as, as I'm listening to you talk about this. I'm thinking this stuff's going to be expensive. I'm looking over Rob's shoulder. He's got it pulled up on a computer. It's like $9, $10 a bottle. That is very inexpensive. Not very expensive. And it, the other thing too, um, and I, I kind of mentioned earlier, the one thing that stores don't particularly like is that Reflowers is more concentrated than just about everything else on the market, which means you don't need as much, which stores don't like because then you're not going back to buy as much all the time. Shame. But um, yeah, it, unfortunately. But um, the, the nice thing is they are all very concentrated. Um, you know, you'll see some that's like a 500 ml bottle treats 6,000 gallons worth of water. So, I mean, you can buy a 500 ml bottle for 10, 15 bucks and be set for months. And what's the shelf life on that stuff? Shelf life on everything is three years. Holy cow, that is fantastic. So is that once it's opened? Once it's opened, correct. There you go. Okay. This is for the coral, the reef tanks. You do not have to do this just for the fish and live rock tanks as much, correct? Or at all? Uh, correct. There are, there are a handful of things that you want to maintain in a fish-only tank. Um, the biggest one being an element called strontium. Um, fish do absorb a little bit of strontium through just general respiration and, and absorbing seawater. And it does help with skeletal growth. But typically speaking, unless you have just a ton of fish in the tank, 
water changes are going to be enough to replenish that strontium level for you. Easy enough. You know, I just want to go back real quick. You covered it, but I don't know if people heard it. You know, they're talking about if you're starting your first saltwater tank and you're, you're mixing the salt water, the reef, or what it would be, to use RO water. Can you explain why you use RO yes. water and not tap water? Absolutely. So in salt water, the most important thing that we tell people is, is use RO. And if you can find it, RODI. And if you have the space, set up your own RODI. Um, I actually have out in my garage my own uh, six-stage RODI system that fills up a big trash can that I've got, you know, plumbing run underneath the floor to pump into my tank and everything like that. Um, but the reason we use RO is because your salt mix has depending on brand, between 70 and 78 different trace elements in it. And if you use something like tap water, there is a chance that what's in your tap water, um, we call it TDS, total dissolved solids, uh, there's a chance that something in that tap water might react with one of those 78 different trace elements. And you'll get stuff like precipitate, where stuff comes out of solution. You'll get a bunch of algae growth because it might turn it into a form that algae is gonna be able to absorb a lot more readily than corals can absorb. Um, you can get all sorts of bacteria spores and stuff like that that come in through tap water. Um, chlorine, typically for salt water, is not a big deal because when you add the salt, the salt reacts with chlorine and takes it out of the water naturally. So unlike freshwater where you're worried about getting chlorine in your tank, tap water and salt water, you're not really worried about the chlorine, but you are worried about all the other stuff in there that can react with those trace elements in your salt mix and really throw off your parameters. Well, that, and you said yourself that uh, this is all a array of minerals so that i yes. always get nervous when people say oh, i'm gonna use ro and they're they're, they're very inexperienced with aquariums because they don't know that if you just put ro water with freshwater fish without doing anything to the water and it's 100 pure ro you will kill your fish and strip the slime coat right off of it because there is nothing in the water in there and it will find it like if you have a aquarium that's covered in calcium buildup throw ro in there for a week watch it disappear so be very careful with how you use RO, but again, you're, you're adding the salt mix to it. You're remineralizing the water, so you're safe Correct. using 100% RO. Yep, and that way you're only getting the trace elements you want, and you're not getting anything else, like uh, heavy metals, and you, know, you can see like lead, iron, that sort of stuff come through pipes all the time. The only heavy metal is what Jim listens to in a cruise. That's right. So what I'm trying to go through on, on a reef tank or coral tank, and I'm trying to monitor what's um, being consumed in the tank, what do you recommend on how to measure the trace elements in the water? Do you have some sort of tool that you use, uh, electronic monitor, you know, like we do pH strips for fresh? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw the... Wow. <laughs> uh, for those that didn't uh, don't know what's going on, uh, we and have there's people... a visual aspect to this, that would be the perfect, <laughs> perfect picture to show. Oh, no, we don't want to show them this. But... Yeah, when you're talking about clams, too, it kind of threw us off. If you guys ever want to know what we're laughing at, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. Come watch the live show. You get to send uh, messages and memes. They just put Kyle, uh, Kyle's poor face in a, uh, was that, uh, Men in Black photo? Yeah, that Balchinian thing. The Balchinian dude. So uh, my apologies, yeah. uh, Kyle. They're they're feeling quite warm, uh, warm I, to you it, today. It looks amazing. I, I I like that. You know what? We can get you an eight by ten for your office. We'll send it to you. We'll get another copy fantastic. for less. You know, you can send it out as Christmas cards. <laughs> we'll do the whole office. But anyways, back to the back to the question. Wow, is, we fell right off the track again. What do you use to measure trace elements or to keep up with how corals eating away at it? So test kits are going to be your best friend in saltwater. 
Um, we use liquid test kits, uh, methods called titrations, where you basically, in most of your test kits, you add different uh, chemicals to a little sample of water, and then you add other chemicals till they change color. And based on how much the other chemical you add, it tells you different levels. Um, I'm actually colorblind, so I have a really hard time with titrations like that. So I actually use digital meters. Now the digital ones are a little bit more expensive and they take a bunch of different reagents that you have to put in there. And then you hit a bunch of buttons and it gives you readouts. But to me, the digital ones are, are way better because I just can't see the color changes sometimes. Like this, you know, a blue to purple color change. I'll never notice that. Now I might think I have way too much magnesium in my tank than what I actually have or something like that. So I use all digital on mine. Um, the big ones that you're going to measure, you're going to measure alkalinity. You're going to measure phosphate. You're going to measure calcium. You're going to measure magnesium and you're going to measure salinity. And those are the big ones. Um, the other thing that we like to recommend testing is potassium. The unfortunate part is there's no electronic meter for potassium that's below about $12,000. Ouch. Um, yeah. So unless you're like working in a lab, you don't really have access to an electronic version. And the reagents that are required to test for potassium and salt water are very heavily regulated by the FDA. And you can't find potassium test kits in the U.S. very easily. You have to get them imported over from Germany. Why is that? Is that potassium FDA used? FDA regulation. FDA regulation? Of, is it made to yes, use like but, blue meth on Breaking Bad? Um, it's made and it's used for some kind of drug. I don't know which kind. Oh, it is. I wasn't, I was just it, joking. It is. It is. Um, so it's very heavily regulated. So the import of it is very, very heavily controlled. So when you do find those test kits, they're not cheap. Gotcha. Um, and like I said, you usually have to get them imported over, um, Salifert in Germany makes my favorite one and getting that import is often difficult. So before we go, that uh, explains why Sean sends everything to Germany. Right. That explains it right there. So, and also, you don't use anything that to make meth like that. <laughs> I don't know. I watched Says Breaking, our jihad friend. I'm watching Breaking Bad again. I just want to see if there was any like potassium testers in there. Anyways, I can tell you. You could tell me <laughs> after the show. After the show. Adam. After the show, Adam. Um, but you're saying you're colorblind. So quick tangent, right? Uh, I was. <laughs> I have to talk about this, right? I, I have a friend. We were we're sitting there. We're playing uh, cards in the basement, right? And uh, we're playing Uno, and uh, he was just just not playing cards, drawing continually. Had a hand that was an accordion, and we're sitting there like, "Come on, what's going on? We're we're on our last card," and he just drops his hand. I'm colorblind. <laughs> so, uh, best way to find out your friend's colorblind, and now it's just constant jokes ever ever since then. So, uh, I feel you would make fun of them. I feel yeah. your pain, Kyle. On a nationally syndicated <laughs> podcast. I'm just saying, people make fun of Helen Keller. I can make fun of colorblind people. God. Jimmy's gonna punch me. Oh, we're going to be right back at HR tomorrow morning. <laughs> so, Do you guys have an HR department, Kyle? Uh, we don't, but I'm there sure we can find someone that can take offense to it. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we, there's a lot of snowflakes out there. Check the box. So I have a question about this Apex dosing system. And this is just one of many different dosing systems I've seen. So the idea is that instead of you being a you know avid Aquarius, getting those uh, test kits and adding what you need to manually, you get this cool, extremely retardedly expensive system, <laughs> and it just tries to measure it on its own and doses automatically. Um, do you have much experience with those? Yeah, so dosing systems, you still have to measure yourself, and then you program the dosing system to add 
the chemical based on how much you see your corals taking over the course of a day. So you have to take several measurements and you see like, you know, day one, my magnesium is, let's say, 1400 ppm. And then by day five, it drops down to 1340 ppm. And then you have to figure out how much of whatever chemical you want to add. You put it in your little reservoir and the dosing system automatically doses it. And what it does is it doses it every single day. Um, that way it keeps it much more consistent than relying on you to remember, oh, on Mondays I dose this, on Tuesdays I dose that. You just basically automate that system. Now they do also have, I think they call it the Triton. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yes, that is but correct. That is something that measures your water chemistry using um, a very advanced photospectrometer to basically read various reagents mixed with your water to tell you magnesium levels, calcium levels, that sort of thing. Those are great and typically speaking, very accurate. You just go through a ton of reagents with them. Um, there's a couple different companies that make something similar to that. One uses a little disc that spins around and gets red. Um, the other one, I think the Triton uses the little liquid vials. You go through a ton of reagents and if you forget to refill those reagents, your numbers are going to be way off. And if you have it automated to where that's trying to help you calculate your ratios for what you're dosing, you forget your reagents, you could be in trouble because it might think that you have way too much or not enough and throw off your dosing altogether. I think that's exactly what Sean's been using. He had about eight or 10 dosing units. Yeah, and he took different doses at different, like three times a day from different parts of the tank yep. to make sure there's getting flow. They're getting accurate readings across it as an array, including in his uh, multiple chambers of sumps. So it was, uh, yes. it was just the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then you look over, and he's got, I don't know how to put it, like an apex rack. And each one has like looks like um, milk jugs hooked up to each one of these, how it just pumps in the... Uh... It looked like a mad scientist. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, that's all your additives in the reservoirs there, and it pumps them right up and puts them in the tank, and the ratio is needed. They were having a while... Um, with problems sourcing the chemicals in bulk because they use so much of it, they're, they're pulling out, you know, I think they do, what, two fragging sessions every month? Did you say, Jimmy? They're doing once a week now. Once a week they frag out. That is insane. So, I mean, that's okay. at scale, but, I mean, as far as these dosing systems, they uh, have everything down to, you know, single tank. They're just going extreme with this. But uh, just to give you an idea of that Trident system you mentioned, uh, I think just the base model six hundred dollars. Yeah, they're not cheap. So, but it's so it's a nice thing is it's you know it's an investment that because of the stability factor from it can really pay for itself in just peace of mind and stability over the lifetime of the tank. Well, and if you're looking if you're running a coral tank and you've got some of these corals that are worth thousands of dollars, which we saw oh yeah over at Sean's place, I mean it is money well spent. Yeah, especially some of the little acro frags that are just crazy expensive. I mean. When you're talking a one-inch frag that goes for like four or five thousand dollars, you want to make sure that thing's as stable and happy as possible. I love the names that they use for them. Like he's got one that's called Home Wrecker. Like, oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, Home yeah. Wrecker. Just crazy, crazy self-explanatory. Like he's got yep. a piece of a tiny speck of a frag that's not supposed to grow, like fifteen hundred dollars. Like people are crazy. But let's get down oh, to yeah. the like, the less intimidating conversation. So if someone's listening to this, they're like, oh. Well, Hassan, it's going to be a while before we start a marine tank. Well, if you refer back to our prior podcast, we were talking in one of the episodes about jars. We did freshwater jars and saltwater jars, and they were very minimal, minimal to do. However, 
saltwater jars, again, there's no forgiveness in a one-gallon jar. If something goes away, it's going to crap out, so you need to know what you're doing. However, let's say that they, uh, a family is deciding they want to do a 55-gallon saltwater aquarium. Um, the biggest question is, is there any differences in the cycle? Is, the, is there you know, biological bacteria in the bottle? It, can I use that freshwater stuff to get the cycle running? How long does that cycle process normally take to get a, uh, just a basic fish only set up with live rock going? So the nice thing about saltwater is instead of like uh, bio balls or ceramic media, anything like that, we use what's called live rock, which is basically rock that's extremely porous that houses tons of bacteria cultures on them. Now, live rock is rock that comes out of like cycled vats and stuff like that, where you buy it, it's already gone through its cycle. It already has those bacteria populations. You can also buy dry rock or base rock and do it yourself. If you're starting with base rock, it's just like a freshwater tank three to four weeks typically for that cycle. If you start with live rock, that cycle is significantly sped up. Um, I've seen, it's not typical, but I mean, I've seen saltwater tanks with really good live rock set up that are cycled within a week. Um, typically with live rock, you're looking at about a two week cycle, um, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. And there are bacteria supplements that you can add. Um, you don't wanna use the freshwater stuff. There's specific saltwater bacterias. Um, Biospira is kind of the big one that people are familiar with. Um, there's uh, Microbacter 7, I think it's called. There's seven different strains of bacteria. Uh, Dr. Tim's is one that I highly recommend. Um, I love Dr. Tim's. Um, he has one called the One and Only. That's fantastic for setting up a tank. Um, but once you add those, um, you're looking at about a two-week cycle, give or take. If I'm a, uh, a new person listening to this, what should be the steps? I first get my uh, tank set up with the live rock, add the water, add the salt, and then add mm -hmm. the bacteria. When do I put, and again, people normally start with like a small damselfish. Is that still correct? When, when would I put the first damselfish in? Because that's always the hardiest. That's the old school way of doing it. Um, as, as much as technology has advanced now and supplements and testing has advanced, um, you really don't have to start with a damsel anymore. Um, we do have a wide variety of fish that we consider starter fish because they're less sensitive to big swings in pH or salinity. Um, things like clownfish are a great starter fish um, that a lot of people you know, know from Finding Nemo and all that. They, they love seeing the clownfish, uh, but they're a great starter fish. Chromis are another one. Um, there's all different kinds of chromis. Uh, and then some of the gobies are really good starter fish too because, again, they're less sensitive to uh, changes in, in parameters. And usually with saltwater tanks, the thing that everyone has to really learn to control right off the bat is your salinity. Um, as water evaporates out of the tank, you got to make sure you're putting fresh water back in. And it sounds counterintuitive, but when the water evaporates, it leaves the salt behind so your tank gets saltier. And we've seen a lot of people, you know, will think, oh, my tank evaporated five gallons of water, I better put five gallons of salt water back in, and they spike their salinity. And that can cause a lot of problems. You always want to top off with fresh water to compensate for it. And once you get the hang of controlling your salinity, everything else is really, really kind of falls in line with it. And it's really not as bad as it sounds all at first. I know at first it's pretty overwhelming, though. I, I don't know. It sounds uh, pretty decent to me. But the uh, whole, you know, microdosing Apex systems, we got intimidating there for a minute. So I, ha I had to be a little nicer to the conversation. That's the advanced here. We, we, we try to accommodate everybody. We love spending people's podcast. money. I just love spending other people's money. It's just so much fun. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, back to your, the, the first test kit you talked about, how much is an average test kit that you're buying that, that is a digital? What are you guys paying for something like that retail? 
Uh, so the digital test kits that I use, um, they range anywhere from, most of them are in the $40 to $50 range. My, um, my, I have a digital um, salinity tester, and that one was like 120 ish but most of them are, are $40, 50 bucks. That's not bad at all. And then you just got to buy reagents. Reagents usually come in like a 20 or 50 pack, and they're only like 10 bucks for a pack of reagents. No, this isn't a question, but you have to yell out the word Kobe every time you talk about the balling method. So uh, now you know, Kyle. Yes, we, we do that at shows. When you, when you come to our booth at the show, if someone's talking about it and they say, uh, they say balling, someone else in the booth always goes, Kobe. <laughs> I thought that was fake for a minute. That was pretty good. No, I thought we, we, that's, that's the thing. can't believe you guys are talking about me. All right, here's the question. What would you dose in a planted microalgae reef tank? So let's start with what's a planted microalgae reef tank? So, good question. I actually used to have one. Um, so basically, it's a refugium without a tank attached to it. So you grow all sorts of macroalgaes in your refugium. And there are some in saltwater that are absolutely beautiful. And it's just like having a planted freshwater tank, except you're doing it in saltwater. Um, there's stuff like dragon's breath algae that's like bright red. There's cotton candy algae, which looks like tufts of cotton candy. There's mermaid fans and bottle brush and all sorts of really cool macroalgaes that you can grow. What I would recommend dosing in a tank like that, you're going to want some sort of nutrient load for it. So if you don't have any fish that are producing waste, one of the best things you can do is actually take like some flake fish food and crumble it up and put it in there and just kind of let it break down for those plants to actually get a little bit of food. But as far as the additives go, um, there's one that Reflowers makes that I absolutely love. They call it the Coraline Algae Accelerator, but it's not a, what a lot of people are used to in uh, a Coraline Algae product where it's basically like a calcium supplement. This is actually proteins, amino acids, and a bunch of different nutrients that are for algaes in general, not just Coraline Algae, all sorts of macroalgae. So they will boost growth in refugiums, and they boost things like Calerpa, which isn't re really that hard to grow, but they'll boost, you know, mermaids fans and they'll boost dragon's breath and all these various uh, algaes that people grow. The downside is if you have like a bunch of hair algae or something like that, it will also feed and boost your hair algae. You don't want to do it if you have like a huge algae outbreak, but if you're trying to grow a macroalgae tank, the Coraline Algae Accelerator is fantastic for it. See, I, I know some people that like to do weird projects um there's a few people in our discord there's another community called the um tct or the community tank and there's a bunch of how do we say like um psychos psychos experts that uh <laughs> have uh, had a lot of fun like they're one of those people that like to do uh biotopes of garbage like they'll have beer cans in it and whatnot they they, they did have fun with some of their aquarium setups and i'm just an idea popped in my head if you guys are listening one of you should take this uh, Coraline Algae Accelerator and just see what cool creations you can do in a freshwater tank if you just, like, super load it. Like, the, the, the swamp monster will come out of 20 long. Sigmund the sea monster will come out and grab you by the throat and eat you. Absolutely. Just feed it up. Hey, Kyle, quick question on, on some of these products now. We are getting close to winter up here in Minnesota. Um, do, are these products safe if they freeze when you're shipping them? Uh, we... We don't recommend freezing them, more so for the uh, integrity of the bottles. They are full just about to the very top, and when they freeze and expand, it'll crack the bottle and you'll end up with a mess. Um, because of the way most of these are made, a lot of these nutrients are bound up in what we call mineral salts. Um, so freezing them doesn't denature them. 
Now, there are some, the ones that have uh, proteins and amino acids, freezing can denature those and cause those to be less effective. But, you know, things like the calcium supplement, the magnesium supplement, those are okay if they end up freezing in shipment. I would just worry about the uh, the actual you know, bottle cracking and then when it thaws out, it's all over your floor or something. And that's why you have one of those mats down to clean all that. That's exactly why you buy that with a cobalt aqua sponge mat. But yeah, I mean, I, some some of the products, the freshwater products that you, you that we get up here in the Northland with the live bacteria and stuff, if it gets frozen, it's it's shot. It's no good. So I know this is the time of year that I actually start buying some of that stuff and and keeping at my house extra bottles of stuff. So I don't even like on a drive when we come back home from say Fargo, North Dakota. You know, if you'd happen to throw the stuff in the trunk, it's going to be frozen by the time you get home an hour and ten minutes later. So a lot of these items. Um, are shipped across the United States. And as we go into winter here, you know, that, that concern is always um, a real one with all of us up here in the Northland. Yeah. The nice thing is there's nothing that has a live bacteria strain that we offer here in the U S um, mainly again, because there are some things coming, but they're tied up in the, the uh, bureaucratic red tape right now. Um, but the chemicals that we have right now, all the additives, um, most can withstand freezing again, unless they have those proteins or amino acids in there. Perfect. So to go down the uh, other questions on the list, you talked about the algae accelerator. What are the other two special formulas used for that I see in reef flowers? Great question. So let's see what's under the special formula. It would tab be here. B color and F color. Which B color? Oh, I don't know where are... C color or E color went, but uh, they're yeah, in there so... somewhere. <laughs> So those I actually have a, a quite a story uh, with. So B color and F color are both coral color enhancers. And uh, B color is a bromine-based coral color enhancer, and F color is an iron-based coral color enhancer. Um, and a lot of people are probably sitting there going like, why would you want to add iron to your tank? Iron feeds algae. Because you want to so, be juicing, bro. <laughs> The uh, the nice part about the iron is the way it's in there. It's a bioactive of uh, sorry bioavailable form of iron that can be immediately taken in by anything that uses or that has greens, yellows, reds. They'll pull that iron right out, and it really helps to bring out all of the color and the fluorescence in it. Um, actually, the B color and F color were the very first things from reflowers that I started dosing in my personal tank, and. I started with those because it's a once a week dosing and that's it. And I was like, all right, this is the easiest one. I'm the laziest one. You know, let me get the one that I only have to do once a week because I'm way too lazy to do anything else. So I got those, started dosing them, and it was about six weeks or so into dosing it. And me, you know, seeing my tank every day and being colorblind, I wasn't really seeing anything. And my wife, who could really care less about the tank, I mean, she'll feed the fish if I ask her, but that's about all she cares about the tank. Um, but she walked by the tank and she, she was like, Hey, did, did you get a new coral? And I was like, no, I, I, I didn't get a new coral. And she's like, well, everything just looks prettier. And I knew then that, Hey, it's working because she doesn't care about the tank. And she noticed that everything was looking better. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I've been dosing for about a year now. And I absolutely love it. Um, it's, it's really nice. Cause I can go to some of these local fish stores and things like that and buy some of their browned out, um, acros put them in the tank and under the dosing that I'm doing within a month, they'll be colored up and looking beautiful. Do you even juice bro? <laughs> so on here, we have a, a gentleman that decided to post a picture and, sa and state, this is how I dose iron. 
So if you look at the picture, it looks like he has a reptile lid on the top of his aquarium. A, yeah, and the grate is rusting. Lid. Yes, the, the grate is rusting on top. So I think that's how he's... That's how, that's how he doses iron? That's how he doses iron. Not recommended. So the crazy, crazy thing is that will absolutely dose iron. It will also dose a lot of other contaminants and impurities that you don't necessarily want. But it will work for iron. Who knew? So going back to the last thing you said, you, if you go in and, and you buy kind of like a... a a coral or something that, that doesn't have good color. Are they telling you this or are you seeing this? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, are you able to distinguish different tones? So, yeah. So there, there are three different kinds of color blindness and I have the one that starts with a T tryptophany or something like that. I'm, I don't remember the name of it, but I see things in various shades of like blues and purples. Okay. Um, so I, I can see like blues, purples, reds, but things like yellows, greens, all that kind of stuff, all lost to me. Um, so honestly, the, the way I can tell if a coral is like browned out or not looking the way it should is I can go in to a store and I'll look in their frag tank and be like, hey, an acro that's four inches long should really be like 70, 80 bucks. And it's over here in the $10 section. Something's up with it. <laughs> that's why I know, like, hey, boom, that's one of the ones that I'm going to try because I can throw it in my tank. I don't mind it looking like crap for a while because I know it's going to bounce back and start looking awesome because of the way I dose my tank. Nailed it. So do you have to go with your wife to pick out a dress and stuff? And she comes out, she goes, what do you think, the black dress or the pink dress? And you go, I don't care. The one that shows the most cleavage. Well, I just think it's interesting that uh, your colorblindness uh, does just the green and yellows and not the reds. Normally, like, uh, people I know, can't see Christmas at all. Like green and red's gone. <laughs> can't see Christmas. Like I got a tank, the my beautiful Planet One Twenty Five. I got. R- r- <laughs> <laughs> way to slip that in there. I like. Oh that. yeah, Where's way to go. HR? Anyways, so I got my One Twenty Five planted. It's just beautiful greens. I got you know fire shrimp, rummy nose tetras, and he can't see shit in it. It just all looks just one thing. I, I want to sell him some of my washed out discus to him. I tell you that right? much. It's <laughs> the guy to have. Well, we can we can use the reflowers, uh, our American trace, and get those discus looking uh, a lot less washed out. You know what? I am going to try that. I am excited to start using some of these products after being educated a little bit more on. I am impressed about the prices; they are not that bad. And uh, I think everybody should give this a try and report back to us, and we can have it uh, talk about it in our second episode. And by the time this releases. There may be even be a promo code at the front of the episode. So no. there, there may be a promo code and a contest. Oh man, a contest! Or you, or you can win yourself some reflowers. You don't even have to buy it that way. Hot damn! I'm just going to steal mine from the top of this aquarium that Rob's got right here. Hey, hey, now <laughs> you can't take my juggies. I'm not touching your jugs, dude. <laughs> so, is there anything the, that the we? The cool thing about oh, go ahead about go jugs. Ahead. The cool thing about jugs. So the cool thing about the reflowers jugs is all the pictures that you see on all their jars are taken in their own personal aquariums. The four guys who started the company, those are uh, one of the guys was a photographer by trade. And um, when they started the company, he went around and photographed all their tanks. So everything you see on those labels has been grown using reflowers. Hot. There's no, uh, no stealing content on uh, online or buying stock photos from places. It's their own tanks. That's great. And if you look really closely, one of the planted supplements is actually a leafy sea dragon. 
Oh man, now now I'm gonna have to like really go at it. Oh, we got like six bottles up here, but seven. Look closely to figure out which one. I'm gonna bring shot glasses next time. We're just gonna do shots of this stuff and see what happens. We'll get this. We'll get this done yet. Don't uh, don't consume any Reflowers products direct to human. No After promises that. that it makes you look any better. Right. So, so I do have a question. Does Please. this mean somebody has a captive leafy sea dragon? Because that's kind of on my bucket list of things to get. Sea World. Yes, as a matter of fact, they do multiple captive leafy sea dragons, as well as a handful of pipefish in there with them. SeaWorld has a wonderful display of those. If you've ever been to SeaWorld and uh, it's in one of the inside buildings and they are huge. Wait, SeaWorld's still yeah. going? <laughs> I thought they closed it down after we did took the pictures with the statue of Shamu. No, no. Um, Shed Aquarium up in Chicago also has an amazing sea dragon exhibit. So there you, there I you didn't go. know that these were, I knew these were in captive aquariums but i didn't know private people had them yep absolutely and there's actually a breeder in the u.s um they're they're, um, they're working on breeding uh leafy sea dragons as well as a few other uh various species but they raise the young on one of the foods that i helped make so i'm, I'm very excited with that that's a hard flex right there have they, gentlemen. have they had any success then with the breeding of them i don't know if i can say one way or the other uh, Kyle, is there anything gratuitous that we've forgotten along this, this trip we've taken? Um, the only other thing that I would say when you're getting into dosing is to start with dosing once a week. You don't want to dose too much. You know, some of the chemicals won't hurt if you overdose them. Some will. You don't want to dose too much. So I always recommend people start small. Dose once a week. And then once you've got that dead, see how that impacts your tank, increase that dosage a little a little bit more and a little bit more until you find the right levels that work for your tank. And the instructions on all the bottles are really just guidelines for an average tank. Every tank uses the different minerals and things like that in different ratios. So if you have a bunch of SPS, you might be pulling out more calcium or strontium. If you have a bunch of softies or if you have a tank like mine, which has a bunch of non-photosynthetics, you're going to be using things like iodine and potassium a lot more than you are things like calcium. Um, like I've got a bunch of Gorgonians in my tank and they just absolutely love iodine. Like it does wonders for them. So I'm dosing iodine a lot more frequently than most people will. Um, same with things like potassium. Um, you want to hit that 400 ppm to 420 ppm potassium range. And in a tank with a lot of soft corals or a lot of non-photosynthetics, having that higher potassium is going to be fantastic. But it might not be what you want in a tank with a whole bunch of stonies. So a lot of it is, you know, just measure it, take it slow. Um, the other nice thing that I always tell people um, is if you're afraid of dosing, like I was for a very good portion of my aquarium life, find a friend or someone that you know that doses and ask them for guidance because it can be very overwhelming when you're like, all right, I need how many milliliters per gallon and all this stuff. It can really get overwhelming and and really. Like I said, take it slow. Find a friend who may dose. Um, I'm always available via our, our cobaltaquatics.com. You can always drop me a message on there and ask me, and I'm happy to reply to anyone who needs help. Um, you know, one of the things I do with cobalt is I travel all across the country to various fish stores, and we do talks on fish nutrition and, you know, all sorts of uh, different chemicals and additives and what food's right and all this stuff. And I always tell people, hey, if you ever have any questions, if any of your customers ever have any questions, whatever, I'm always around. So you can contact us through the Cobalt website. Um, we're always happy to help anyone get started, 
even if it's just a weird question you have about the aquarium hobby, we're happy to help. I mean, that's how I handle a lot of things in life. If it, I don't know about it, find a friend who does. That's why I'm reaching out to Lance Armstrong to see how I'm supposed to be able to do steroids. So, one nut Lance. <laughs> one nut Lance. <laughs> <laughs> and you wonder why Shell Crow left him. Now you know. It's all, it's all over. Well, Kyle, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, uh, and, and letting us know, but I have an action item for you, sir. You Already? need to post like some sort of like halfway guide. Like if you see, um, you know, that, that etchy glass algae, you add more phosphate for plants. Is there a guide that you can build to give instructions on how to change up your dosing schedule based upon what's in the tank or what you see? Like dosing for dummies. Yeah. That's a great idea. And I then, like that a lot. Actually, it'd be, it'd be awesome to set up a little like uh, part of a, on the web page that kind of has a, hey, I see this. Here's what I'm probably experiencing and how to fix it. It's and then, Kyle, idea. you and I can do a video together and we can pretend to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger telling people how to juice. Be like, this is how you pump, you know, and have some fun with it. Right. Put a brand behind it. Get marketing on board. Nobody's going to believe that you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, not even, not even me really drunk. Wait, you, you missed it. What was that accent again? You got to put, the, put it in your tank. Dose it now. Dose it now. Dose it now. I'm going to pump you up. You up. It can't, it can't get better than that, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thanks again, Kyle. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Certainly thanks for having me. Listen to the podcast. We record these ahead of time. So it'll be at the front of the podcast if there's any information on the contest and promo codes. There'll be a, uh, some advertisement we'll be doing uh, with Reef Flowers. Certainly give them a try, reefflowers.us. Otherwise, you can also go to Cobalt's website and get those super squishy absorbent pads. That's, <laughs> that's the new meme now. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kyle. And uh, they're, they're the, the Cobalt WAP is the, the wet ass pads <laughs> <laughs> and with that we'll leave uh, I, I love it so much well guys we'll, we'll see you next week again go to the bottom of the website aquariumguyspodcast.com if you like what you hear you know you can certainly uh, go on there give us a few bucks go to the merch store buy a t-shirt or hat it all helps keep the lights on and uh, above all else share this with a friend and join us live until next week guys Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go f*** yourself, don't you know? (laughs) That's my boy, don't you know.